reading Exodus this morning. I'm going for it for Lent with a friend. And um, I was really struck by when Moses first goes up Mount Sinai and all the things that the people have to do because God is so holy and so untouchable. And I was just, just texted my friend and said, wow, like, isn't it amazing that now we can come boldly to God, that we can come boldly with confidence to his throne room. He is a good father. I'd love you to keep that in your mind as I speak today. He is a good father. So for me, it is great to be here amongst, hopefully, friends, maybe some naughty, heckling people, but uh, this is probably the first time in a long time where my congregation, where, where the people I'm talking to have been under the age of 18, so bear with me. Um, I know that Steve looks like he's under the age of 18, but... Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's, it's great to be here. Um, how we perceive affects how we proceed. What do I mean by that? I'm going to tell you a story. It's a story about me. Um, those of you who are in Archbishops might know the story if you actually listen on, on a Friday morning. But, you know. Uh, so, um, I may not look like it, but I do frequent the gym every now and again. Try to get it in once a week. And uh, I also have a personal trainer in the gym. And the reason I have that is because if I didn't, I would just walk around the gym for half an hour and not actually do anything and then go home and say I've been to the gym. Um, so I, um, I meet with her. And I'll tell you something. If you ever have a personal trainer, don't look at what someone else is doing and go, I could never do that. Because the next week, she'll decide you're going to have a go at doing that. And this is where I found myself with a box in front of me. Now, a box, uh, not a wooden one like that, although you can get them apparently wooden, sort of a, a box about this sort of size and about this far off the ground. And she said, right, we'll start you low, because the person I'd seen was on a very high box. And she said, all you've got to do is jump with both feet and land on the box with both feet. So you just jump and land, jump and land. And you're going to do that 10 times and then rest. So I thought, right, great, jump. And I kept looking at this box. And I was absolutely paralyzed. I could not. I kept doing that weird thing where you go like this. And I could not get myself off the ground. I thought, this is, this is crazy. What's going on here? And I turned around to her and I said, Kerry, I, I can't do it. And she said to me this, she did not help me do it. She didn't lift my legs for me. She didn't give up on me. She said this, until you choose to believe that you can do it, you won't do it. I would not do this to humiliate you. You have the ability to do this. But until you tell yourself that, you will not do it. And so I began to believe what she was saying and now I can do it 40, 50 times, which is quite exciting. Um, and I'm not moving on to the red box because it's huge. Um, but how we perceive affects how we proceed. Outside of my job as a schools worker, I also like to blog. And recently, God's been putting on my heart about roadblocks in us living in full abundance. And that's what I've been writing about. I love to see in both my work life, my personal life, um, I love to see people being free. I love, I have a passion to see people living a full life. And what I have found is often it is to do with what is going on in your mind. So this morning, as we look at Acts 17, uh, verses 10 to 15, 
We are going to look at how Paul and then the Bereans perceived what was happening and then how they proceeded and see if there is anything that we can learn from it for us to be part of this unstoppable church. I, I love that as a, as a um, title, unstoppable church. Isn't it exciting to think that that is what we are? Anyone? No, we're not excited. Yeah, we are excited. Does it sometimes feel like we're not unstoppable and like quite often we are very easily stoppable? Stop, 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 I don't don't even know. Um, So, okay, Acts, oh, I've managed to get myself in Acts 10 rather than Acts 17. There you go, shouldn't talk and type at the same time. There we are. So, Acts 17, we're going from verse 10. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, and when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica, and they received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing, as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learnt that the word of God was also proclaimed by Paul at Berea, they came to, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. So today we're going to look at Paul and then the Bereans and see how they perceived things and therefore how they then proceeded and see if there is anything we can learn from that about being unstoppable. This morning I believe that the Father's heart wants to gently remove some hindrances in our minds and hearts to empower us to be unstoppable. It is good news, remember he is a good Father who wants the best for us. So I love a good box set. Anyone else got a box set on TV or a TV program that they love watching and they, they can't wait for the next episode? And uh, I'm, unfortunately, I love all the American ones. So uh, let's put this into con- context of uh, previously on Paul's unstoppable journey. Paul, having been called to Macedonia, continues his journey into Thessalonica. Here he preaches good news, but disaster strikes as he is, what, as he is falsely accused, attacked, and dragged into the street, shouted at and asked to leave. Paul and Silas leave Thessalonica by night, arriving in Berea. Paul's unstoppable journey seems to have come to an end. What will he do? How will the church in Thessalonica survive? All will be revealed in today's episode. I want you to imagine for a moment that you are in this, that you are part of what is going on, that you have responded to the call of God, that you have preached the good news of the gospel, that you so long for people to know, and then you are falsely accused, and then you are attacked and dragged into the street, out into the Herne Bay, you're dragged out there in front of people, and you're asked to go. Move on, we don't want you here. Imagine that was you. I wonder what you are thinking. If we could have, um, I've got a few pictures up here to uh, help us think. So if we could have uh, the next two, I think it is, the next slide. Here we go. So 
This has just happened to you. Are you thinking, do you know what? I need a spa day now. All that has been too much. I need a spa day or at least a day in bed. Next slide. Are you thinking, do you know what? I just need a beer. I need to calm down. Or if you're like me, next one, I need cake. Um, what about, uh, what about actually, you're not bothered by what you need. Uh, next slide. You want to tell everyone. You're on Facebook, you're on Twitter, you're on every social media there is, telling everyone about what's just happened and how outrageous it is. Or maybe you're not a social media person, but you'll just tell anyone who's listening what's been going on. Uh, next one is maybe you think, do you know what? This is too difficult. This is just too hard. I give up. Or that God must have been wrong. Or maybe even I must have been wrong. I didn't hear God properly. I was wrong in what he said to do. Or, again, are you someone who is going to go back to Thessalonica, all guns blazing? How dare you? Do you know, not, not know who I am? Do you not know that God is good, that I am here to tell you good news? How dare you? Or lastly, are you going to wallow and shut yourself away? I don't know about uh, you, but I'd have probably done one or maybe all of the above um, at different stages of my anger of being chucked out. Um, if we could have the next one, then that's done. Um, how we perceive, perceive affects how we perceive, proceed. Oh, gosh, I shouldn't have done that. So let's dive in again at verse 10 and see what Paul did. Now, it says here, the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, and when they arrived, they went to the Jewish synagogue. So no spa day, no cake, no grumbling, no wallowing, no Facebook updates, no justifiable riled behavior. I don't know about you, but I don't think I'd have played it that way. How we perceive affects how we proceed. When I look around at what's going on at the moment in our climate, our political climate and in our social climate, what I see is this. We live in an angry, opinionated, offended, and fearful culture. Do you know what? Paul does too. Yet this culture doesn't rule him, and it doesn't occupy his mind. Instead, what occupies his mind is humility and focus on the task. That is what reigns over him. You see, Paul is living from a different perspective, a different mindset, a different culture. He is living under what God has called him to. He is not ruled by his emotions or his pride. Not that he has none. He's human. He has emotions. But he is not ruled by these. It doesn't lead him. It doesn't occupy his mind. The kingdom Paul lives in is Jesus' kingdom. It is the kingdom of God. It is the kingdom of heaven. That is the kingdom he lives from. His perspective, the perspective that he views his life from, affects how he then proceeds. You see, Paul's perspective means this. It means his identity is secure. It means his purpose cannot be changed. It means his justification and his righteousness is already won for him and he doesn't need to fight for it. He has a different focus for his life. He lives without selfish ambition. 
He relies on God to water and grow what he sows. He sees affliction and suffering, but he sees it as character-refining. He gives thanks in every circumstance. It's really hard to give thanks when you're angry. And yet he does it in every circumstance. He lives as an ambassador of Christ. He walks in the works God has prepared for him and he believes that God can do abundantly more than he could ever ask or imagine. His perspective, how he proceeds through life, is affected because he lives as a citizen of another kingdom, God's kingdom, Jesus' kingdom. And so, church, should we. I believe that God is equipping the UK church to be bold. I really do. I see it over all the different streams of churches that I go to. God is equipping us to be bold. There is a season coming for us for, this, for it to be more. However, with this boldness, and I think John may have said something like this last week, with this boldness will come oppression, will come attack, will come false accusation. How are we going to proceed. A church that is unstoppable is not hindered by the need to justify itself, by wallowing or arguing its righteousness. You see, Thessalonica later on becomes an exemplary church with abundant faith. Paul trusted that to God. To be unstoppable, we must live in accordance to the word, which says we have been given a new life, a new perspective to live from. This has been won for us. It is good news. And you know what? We don't even have to try. We don't have to even have to make it on our own because God has given us Holy Spirit to empower us to be obedient to the kingdom way. We must not live under the angry climate that many do. We must walk in the manner to which we have been called. So let us move on to our second group of people. Now, this is in, uh, oh gosh, verse 11. We're not going very far today, don't worry. We're not doing every verse. Now, these Jews were more noble by tho- than those in Thessalonica. So these are the Bereans that we're talking about. They are more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. Now, I also have a love for words. I love words. I love knowing where they came from. I love knowing their, um, what they mean and getting the right meaning for the right word. I blame my dad. Um, but there were two words which stuck out for me. And the words were noble and eagerness. Now, noble sounds a little bit Game of Thrones, but nobility here is not about birthright. This is about character. You see, these Bereans had an upright character. They are also eager. And when I think of the word eager, I think I I walk a dog for someone, and every time I get there, she's so excited. She's ready. She's got her lead in her mouth because she can do that. And she's ready to go for a walk. God convicted my heart when I read these two words. Am I eager? Am I ready? Am I excited 
to hear the word. The Bereans, they're hearing new information. This is perhaps even controversial information they are hearing from a new speaker. Yet they receive this new speaker with eagerness and they are called noble in doing that. And you see, I think the gospel just caught their heart and it caused them to search for more. Has the gospel caught our heart? Has it driven us to search for more? Or is a Sunday preach our only knowledge builder? Should it not propel us into a week of searching, eager to find out more about God and his kingdom? A couple of uh, months ago, I uh, received a picture from several people, actually. um, And uh, it's by a woman called Beth Moore. Um, It's a quote from something she was preaching on. And I think... We hear this quite often generationally, but I think I see this quite a lot at the moment. She says this, You will watch a generation of Christians, of Christians, set the Bible aside in attempts to become more like Jesus. And stunningly, it will sound completely plausible. This will be perhaps the cleverest of all the devil's schemes in this generation to sacrifice truth for love's sake. And you will rise or fall based upon whether you will sacrifice one for the other. Will you have the courage to live in tension of both truth and love? You know, those of you who know me, you know that I love prophecy. I love hearing God's voice. I love sharing pictures. I love hearing what he's got to say. But where I started in that was... I need to know my father's voice to know this is him that is speaking. And where I continue in that is I need to keep searching the scriptures. I don't want to just give nice words to people. I want to give words that are from my father. And so I need to go back into his word time and time again. And when I started sharing words, a very wise woman said to me, why don't you, every time you feel God speaking to you, Just get out your Bible and see if there's something that sounds similar in the Bible. Something that sounds... And she said, don't give a word without thinking, yeah, there's a Bible verse that this sounds like. Not that I was making and taking Bible verses out of context, but that it was encouraging me, oh, this is my father's voice I'm hearing. This is in line with it. We need to be holding truth and love. We need to be knowing the word of God. And then God convicted my heart a second time. You see, the Bereans received this new speaker not with, uh, with his new controversial, perhaps, information, not with scorn, not with judgment, not with cynicism, but with eagerness. You see, for years, I have used this passage as permission for cynicism and judgment when I hear a new speaker. To, I ser- to search the scriptures is fine because I'm trying to catch out the pool that comes to speak to us. I'm waiting like a meerkat, listening to hear if there is a flaw in what someone says. The Bereans' heart was noble. Their hearts were cleared of hindrances, hindrances such as cynicism and judgment. 
And so instead, they received the good news and they grew from it. I don't know, maybe I'm the only one that has used this verse to judge or just does judge people. But if you know that, like me, you've approached situations or other Christians or even regular speakers with cynicism, even when we discuss it as wisdom, I believe that God just wants to change the temperature of your heart. It is a hindrance, and and God wants to remove that. And I believe the outcome of that is that he will make you eager, and it will propel a growth spurt in you. Yes, we are to be wise and discerning. Paul is very clear on that. But this is not what this passage is about. You see, again, when I look around our world, we live in a cynical world that rejoices in fail. And this is not a reflection of the kingdom of God. Cynicism is a distrust or a rejection of a person or object but it is often based on a negative experience. It is formed through five places, one, sorry, one of five places of lack. A lack of joy, a lack of love, a lack of worship, a lack of humility to learn from others, and a lack of grace and forgiveness to heal you. On the other hand, the kingdom of God is full of these things. It is full of joy. It is full of love. It is full of worship. It is full of humility. It is full of forgiveness. And it is full of grace. So let's just pause for a moment. Let's just allow the good, good father just to work in that. His kingdom is full of these things. And I want to say to you, if you think right now, I don't know this, Father, I don't know this, Jesus, I'm not in this kingdom, then I want to extend an invitation to you because Jesus would love you to be in this kingdom. We would love you to be in this kingdom. And I don't know about you, but when I look at the world, I think it lacks joy, it lacks love, it lacks worship, it lacks humility, it lacks forgiveness, it lacks grace. And yet when I think of a world full of those, I think that's the world I want to live in. Oh, that is the world I should be living in and from. So I want to encourage you, if you don't know Jesus, I want to urge you to talk to someone today to find out about this kingdom of joy and love and worship and humility and forgiveness and grace. And for us that do know Jesus, let's let that work in our hearts. That's the kingdom we have been saved to. That is the kingdom that can be reflected from us as we draw near to Jesus, as we draw near. The the irony of what Beth is saying, the irony that she spots, is to be more like Jesus is to know the scriptures, to know what is true about our lives now. How we perceive affects how we proceed. An unstoppable church does not allow an angry, cynical world to direct its thinking. Instead, it allows the new man, the new life, the new kingdom that we have been transferred into to reign over it. Paul leaves Berea in much of the same circumstances that he arrives. Only this time he's without Silas, who stays for a while. And he goes on to Athens... And in the next chapter, sorry if I'm stealing someone's part, in the next chapter we see Silas and Timothy catch up with him. 
And when they meet him, he is described as this, occupied with the gospel. Let us be occupying our minds with the gospel, who we are and whose we are. And our, pers- our perspective will change how we perceive, how we, pres- oh gosh, should not have put too many Ps in this. Our perspective will change how we proceed and how we grow. How do we do that? Just as Paul and the Bereans did, walking by the Spirit, daily examining Scripture, continuing to meet together, putting on the new man of Christ every every morning, listening to the Father's voice and not to the world's. Church, this is not a Sunday school answer. This is where power lies. So let us go in the power of Christ, living from his kingdom, And let us be unstoppable.